0: That's your teacher now, don't I?
1: This is the Black Rifle Coffee
2: Podcast. We are live with the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. I'm Logan Stark. I'm flanked by a couple of fellow Scandinavians, um, and we're going to get into that in a minute here. And then also Mr. Baker Levitt. Not Scandinavian. Not Scandinavian, or uh, Big Bald Baby, as we like to call him. Um, He has played a clown in skits in the past, and a couple other things. Um, He goes way back, way, way back with us. So we're going to hopefully dive into some Denman family history today with Travis and Jericho. Welcome to the show, officially.
0: Yeah. We are joined by the eldest brother Denman, Travis, former uh, Army Ranger, former Green Beret,
2: contractor, Marsau constructor, all kinds of stuff I'm sure we'll get into. Sweet. I'm assuming based off the conversation that we had not too long ago that you guys have dug back into your family history. Is this correct? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: My dad at one point when we were still at home he had legit gone to England and went to the archives there some I've not been so I don't really know the particulars of it but he uh we got our whole family tree back to like the 1400s like all of that stuff.
2: So, That's so rad.
1: Very uh very tuned up on the history of where we come from. Probably a little more accurate than 23 and me I bet. Likely uh, so.
2: Uh <laughs> or I imagine it could be that, totally wrong. Yeah. We don't. I imagine that he like he he went to like some like chamber in a castle. That's what I would like, I would like, like to I imagine. imagine like how this That's what
0: I envision also, but I don't have any idea. I, I remember this because I have a weird memory. I'll forget my ATM pen code, but I'll for I'll remember shit from when I was like 11. Remember this. We lived in Germany at the time. My dad was in the army, so we were stationed in Germany. <clears throat> and one summer, I remember I went back to the States for the summer to like hang out with one of my cousins and my aunt and uncle. And I don't remember where you went, but my parents were basically like, all right, cool. Free of the kids. So they went to England and my dad did all this research. I mean, this is like pre-smartphone, pre-Google. Yeah. Pre-internet. It was pre-internet. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So he actually went there and like went to like libraries and shit (laughs) like a nerd. And uh, yeah, he found the burial site of the very first Denman. Whoa. Really? Which is in... Basically, like in Nottinghamshire. Nottinghamshire. Northern England. North,
1: North Retford is where the, the family in England comes from. Prior to that, from Denmark, but the first Dane mans that came were uh, north of London a little ways. Yeah. And there's a, yeah, there's an estate. There's all kinds of shit there. Yeah. And
0: really a, weird. I'm sure like some shit house historians could go and research this, but the way we understand it is. Our family came from Denmark. They were the people who settled in Northern England as like Vikings. They, you know, their ancestors a couple generations prior came in and just like, you know, slayed monks and shit and took over. And then they kind of became civilized and became farmers and all that shit. And then they settled in England. Yeah, slayed some monks,
2: yeah. drank some mead. Yeah, likely. Yeah, very likely. Ate some preserved fish. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah when yeah. when was the uh, the grave? I don't I think that was it. Marked as to what year that was, Do you know? I
0: can't recall. I, I don't know. I, yeah. It was like
1: sixteens or some
0: shit. Yeah, it was yeah. like crazy. Like
2: earlier than that, it was like elevens yeah. or tens or some shit. Mm. Real old, dude. What do you think they were like? How do you, How do you think like their life was? Like, what were they doing on a regular basis? Like, the, from what's left there, my understanding—I've not been there,
1: but uh, there's like a, an estate that was left to. Uh, whatever the whatever the equivalent to the VA is in England I'm not sure what it is but uh they donated like the Denman property and it became like a like a kind of like an old folks home for vets and it's still that way now to my understanding and yeah. uh, like old retired dudes oh, that's awesome. that run out of family members yeah. like live out their 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 life there and uh pretty nice like my dad's got pictures in there like they have a big dining hall and like you know big giant wooden chair and all that shit it's like very stereotypical of the times, but I intend to go there someday. My son's stationed in England right now too, so I might be able to go over there and oh yeah, and uh, you know, Airbnb his house or something. I, I, I picture your father like the
3: the movie National Treasure, like sneaking in and stealing the documents. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I've never I, seen that. So what that did kind like of fell that. flat. I don't understand. You've never seen that movie? No. Nick Cage. Is that where he
2: steals the? Yeah, Constitution. That's what you're about, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a great flick. Great flick. This is
0: called Dead Air. <laughs> so is <laughs> that's that's your fault? I'm you're sorry. Right. So
3: <clears throat> your dad was in the military. Yes. You were in the military for how many years? Twenty-two. So Jericho was twenty. Mm-hmm. Your dad was twenty-two. So dad 20, was twenty-six. Twenty-six. So we're looking at the seventy years of military service between the two of you and your father. And both of your kids are in the military, right? Two of my kids. I two, have three. Okay. And so if they do 20 years, that's 100 years of military service in that two generations. Yeah. That's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of normal, isn't it? Like. No. No, it's not. No, no, it's not, not at all. No.
2: <laughs> but that's <Yeah>. fine. Whatever. <laughs> our um,
0: grandpas both were in the Navy, too. Yeah. Both our grandfathers were in the Navy, World War II. Jeez. Talk about
3: service. It's really
2: cool to to trace back some, some fanny family lineage and like Trevor is another one of these guys mm-hmm. like he can trace his his heritage uh his great great grandfather served in the american revolution and he's got all of that teed up it's it's pretty cool have you traced your history him. i haven't been able to get past uh before any 1800s so uh, like- we actually have a guy if you
0: trace our family lineage we have a revolutionary war chaplain in our family tree interesting which is weird Not
2: what i would have guessed
0: to come out of your bloodline but i like yeah. to think that he was like a cool chaplain yeah you know he like he still slayed dudes yeah. but he like, was a grunt before and then he went to chaplain school after yeah like uh like the guy uh the mogadishu guy who was later the regimental chaplain uh struker chaplain Struger, Struger. Yeah. he's probably like that yeah mm-hmm.
2: yeah well, it's pretty cool because uh, Jericho and I have been reviewing uh, this edit that for this video that we've been working on in this this series. And we're like taking a crack at a, a travel show, which I think the concept for is really rad that Jericho came up with, which is basically like, you're in an area for 72 hours on Libo. And like, what can you get into? What do you want to get into as like, you know, our type of culture and community? And we kind of like had a rather enjoyable experience in L.A., Um, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact like you guys are both, uh, military brats. Like, what was that like for you? Cause I didn't, my father didn't serve in the military and you guys were all over the country, your whole entire childhood and growing up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like when I was a new guy in the army and we would go places, I would like, I kind of knew how to (laughs) conduct myself as a traveler. Cause you know, me and Travis moved. We moved about it. The Every, longest I spent yeah. somewhere was once I joined the army. and was in Ranger Battalion and we were yeah. fenced. So like our dad. A thousand was, percent.
1: Yeah. 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 Like I think the longest up until now I'm retired and stuff. And like the longest during my military career up to that point was Okinawa, Japan. That was the longest I had lived ever anywhere. I was there almost five years. And in my lifetime, that, I'm was, sorry. that was, well, I was in the army, so it was awesome. Oh, <laughs> you know, I was not a Marine. So, uh, but you know, then in oh three I got stationed at Fort Bragg and I've been there for a long, long time before I went to uh to the beach. But uh, you know, yeah, we moved all the time. And it's like my first deployment in the army, you know, training exercise was in Korea. So I had lived in Korea as a kid when my dad was stationed there. So it was like, Oh, we're going to Korea. I'm like, Yeah, know, whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, oh what the fuck? You think you know what, you know, all about it? Like, I mean, I live there. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, oh well yeah. Can you, you know? can you, uh, cause like I feel sometimes we do
0: this, I'm, I'm like, I assume everyone listening knows what's up. Can you like give everybody your entire career, like soup to nuts, tooth to tail, your entire career?
1: Starting at like joining the army? Yeah. So I joined the army in Germany. I was uh dependent. My dad was in the army. So we were stationed at the time. I graduated from high school in Germany from a DOD school. And, uh, we came home. My dad was on leave. Went to uh, my grandparents' house. I left my granddad's house to go to MEPs in Portland, Oregon. And then that was 1992. And uh, I went to OSIT at Fort Benning, Georgia. Became an infantryman. Uh, immediately went. I was on a option 40, I guess what they call it. And uh, went in straight into RIP, which now RASP. Went into RIP. Made it through RIP. Got assigned to th- uh, Alpha Company, 375. Spent four years there. Um, went to SF Selection in 1995. Started the Q course in February of '96. Um, graduated. Should I can't remember what month, honestly, but I got to Fort Lewis right at the beginning of '97, and I did three and a half years at Fort Lewis in Third uh, Battalion, First Group on uh, ODA 182, and then I got levied to Okinawa. And I went to Okinawa in 1999 and uh, stayed in Okinawa until 2003, November. Went to Fort Bragg, did my Q course time, my instructor time at the Q course. I taught out of phase two SUT. And then I went from there. The last year I was in SWIC, I went to uh, the 18 Alpha Committee, taught officers for a year. And then I went to Bravo 2-3 in third group. And I stayed there until 2013 And then I went back to Swick one more time. I worked as the NCUIC of Range 37 for eight months. And then uh, I retired in 2014.
2: Yeah. It's a lot. Damn. Yeah, that is a lot. (laughs) How long were you in Ranger Bat? Four Four years. years, What
3: was was that like for you?
1: I thought it was normal. I mean, that's just the way it was, you know. Um, Our dad was a former Ranger. He was a 275 guy back in the 80s. And uh, that kind of permeated our life that that example of a man I guess like so it wasn't really foreign to me so I just thought that's the way you know that's the way shit is yeah you know whatever I mean yeah. even to this day like all the hard things that I did in my military career like still a wrestling coach in, in high school was a guy named Brent Cossey he was an army chaplain and his wrestling practices were legit man like I've never been smoked like that. Not by any army dude ever that the chaplain crushed us. But your time in the Ranger Battalion, you had some moments of heightened
0: excitement and then kind of. Yeah, I I queued up. I queued up Baker about your career. And I said, like, your your time in Ranger Battalion could best be
1: described with two words. Blue balls. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) a thousand percent. I got there. Ninety nineteen ninety two. And then in '93, obviously, uh, Black Hawk Down happened, right? Um, that was Bravo Company and Third Battalion was in in that. While that whole gunfight was going down, um, I was an Alpha Company. We got spun up, so we did a full 18-hour sequence and flew, landed in Mogadishu the day after, and uh, you know we were there to continue mission. But obviously, there was a lot of attention on the uh, on the uh, on that operation by then, and uh, we stayed there for. I remember it was like two weeks or so. And uh, pretty much once they once they got Durant back, the Clintons killed it. And we were like, yeah, we're leaving. And we left. So I deployed to Mogadishu and uh, did some convoy escorts and stuff like that. We didn't really do any combat ops, really. And then uh, came home. Um, I was still a private then. Went to ranger school right after that and uh, got out of ranger school and then Right then, 94, we started training up. We were going to invade Haiti. I don't know if anybody remembers that. In the nope. mid-90s, we were going to do a little Haitian, Haitian vacation. And uh, that kind of got messed up, too. I was actually on a, on a plane taxiing down the runway on Hunter Army Airfield. And, uh, you know, I'm about to jump into combat. Like, this is, like, what I've lived to do for a long time. And then the plane turned around. It parked. You can hear the engine. You know, they shut down. And it's like, what the hell is going on? You know, like, hey, they scratched it. It's not happening. I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Yeah, how do you like,
2: just go 180 on
1: like, like Yeah, we were yeah. about to like get it on and then it got turned off. But during both of these, you know, blue balls experiences, uh, I saw a bunch of SF dudes each time. Like I, we lived on the airfield in Mogadishu and uh, we stayed in the old, or not old, it was actually an unfinished uh, terminal building. It was just a concrete shell. We had a bunch of it. There was fifth group dudes like running around doing basically whatever the fuck they wanted to do all the time you know, going in and out of the gate and like civvies and Toyota trucks. And, uh, I was a private at the time, but definitely noticed like there's, these dudes are moving around kind of at will. And then when the Haiti thing stopped, a bunch of third group dudes got on our plane that we just got off of. And it's like, where are they going? Like, they're going to Haiti. Like, how the fuck does that happen? We didn't, (laughs) we didn't like secure it. Like what's going on. And then, uh, at the time I had a, a typical Ranger opinion of an SF guy, you know, like, uh, you know, if you're in Ranger Battalion, pretty much the only SF guys back then you would see if you went to a Swick school or something like that, probably not the best example of, uh, of a team guy. And uh, I was a Ranger, so I fucking hated everybody. But uh, <laughs> Rick Lamb came and to my platoon and he was my platoon sergeant. He's a seventh group guy. He's a Ranger legend, but uh, he somehow made it from SF back to Ranger Battalion to do platoon sergeant time. And uh, he, he's awesome, you know, and he, you know, he talked to me a little bit about SF and stuff. And then I eventually went to selection and became SF dude and still took me forever before I finally got into a, a real combat deployment. You know, um, I was stationed in Noki when 9-11 happened. Uh, we did two deployments to uh, the Philippines, you know, 2002. And then I got nuked with the SWIC. The Swick Levy, so I had to go be an instructor for three years, and uh, that was. You've not mentioned Swick. You've mentioned Swick a few times. What is Swick? Uh, the Special Warfare Center. It's a school. Okay, it's right, where all the schools, SF schools, are, Fort Bragg. So usually, I'd say three to five, six years in, somewhere in there. Team time. They'll uh, they'll come back at you if you got it back to be an instructor. I kind of got lucky because I did three years at Fort Lewis, and then I PCS'd overseas to Okinawa and uh i did a what do they call it a cot or uh i did an extension in Okinawa to stay there longer and uh because it's cheaper to keep her i got to stay there for a little while longer so i was there for almost 5 years before finally i actually got like hey you got to leave go back to swick and uh originally i was going to key west to be a dive instructor but i was living on okinawa and like the last thing i wanted to do was go live on a smaller island so i Asked to go to Bragg instead. And I ended up out in uh, SUT. And that's kind of a funny story, too. Uh, originally slated, I was in second battalion already at SWIC, which is the special skills battalions, dive school, halo, sniper, and uh, Sephardic and stuff. And uh, I was in that battalion doing in processing. And uh, the sergeant major walked by literally. He's like, Oh, the new guys, you know, kind of shakes hand, Where are you guys going? And I was like, I'm going out to 37. And he's like kind of looked at my uniform, and was like, I don't think so, Ranger. We need we need guys like you out at uh, out of Camp McCall. And I was like, oh, I'm already going to, you know, going to sniper school. And he's like, eh, I don't think so. And uh, I ended up out of Camp McCall.
0: Yeah. So the <clears throat> I mean, he was right. Yeah. Right. Like the 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 portion of the Q course that Travis taught was basically like the Ranger school part yeah. of the Q course. So pretty much made for that job. Yeah. You know?
3: So you're, you're basically doing, it sounds like you're doing, you're doing a bunch of teaching during the early
1: days of the GWAT. Right. Yeah. I mean, I taught, I taught small unit tactics, which is the first training portion of the SFQ course at the time. Honestly, I don't know what they're doing now, but uh, when I was there, the studs would go to selection first. That was a TDY and return to their unit. And then when they successfully were select, when they were selected, they would come back to Fort Bragg, PCS move. And they would go through the Q course, which about a year long, including language. And uh, the first training portion of that was small unit tactics. And that's where I worked. So, I mean,
3: that had to be maddening. There's a war going on in your teaching. Like, I mean, obviously, I would imagine that guys in that
1: position want to get over there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was very frustrating. It was very, very frustrating uh, to be there, but it was also frustrating to fight the you know, the chain of command, cause we need good instructors as mm-hmm. well. You know, you're trying to produce new green berets to go feed the force and they're sending you dudes that they don't want to go to combat with to replace the instructors that are going back to their teams. You know, it's like, oh, if they got super squared away dude on the team, like, Hey, man, it's my swig time. Can you, can you protect me? Like, oh, hell yeah. We're going to protect. We're going to keep you here. I'll send this, this dude instead. So guys that were coming there were less than, uh, not all, you know. There were some dudes that were kind of yeah. like, "Hey, man, it's my time." Cool, but uh, it was it was a challenging time. Moreover, uh, the demand for green berets at that time like skyrocketed. You know, I think we called it the 750 ramp up. Like, normally, when I first got to the Q course, I taught a couple classes. Everything was normal, and we put out about 350 students a year, 300 graduates a year, right from the Q course. And uh, kind of overnight, they ramped that up to like 750 and we got nothing new, like no more cadre, no more plastic claymores, no more guns, no more buildings, nothing. We just got 400 more students, just More bodies. Just you know, so we had to figure out how to deal with that. And, uh, it started off, we were doing at phase two, we were doing roughly four classes a year. Classes were 35 days long out of phase two. And then we'd have a cycle break, get ready for the next class, train new instructors, run it again. Well, it went from four classes a year to basically nonstop. We broke the course down into different cycles. They were week long and you would, I would drop students off on Sunday and pick students up on Monday. And it was like that for almost two years. Damn. It's the only time my wife ever complained about my, my army like deployments or anything like that was when I was in SWIG. That was it. Yeah. It's two years, a normal cycle. Three Three years. I was, I was at phase two for two years. And that finally I told my Sergeant major, I was like, Hey man, I need a break, dude. Like I have to like my wife's going to leave me like I've been in Pineland for two years. Like I need to get out of it. Yeah. You know, I came to Swick to kind of get a break from team life and I'm deployed to Pineland indefinitely. Right. You know? So uh I had a square away Sergeant Major Terry Peters sent me back to main post and I worked at the 18 Alpha Committee, the MOS committee. I worked on the field team there and I was basically the 18 Charlie on the field team for the uh, 18 Alpha course. Well, and what was your m o s at the time at the time I was an eighteen charlie okay, and that's, uh, that's uh, a that's engineer okay when
3: did you finally get to
1: get over there Oh seven was my first deployment. I went back to a team in uh two thousand and six and I got there. the company was already deployed to uh to Iraq, so I was rear d and uh and I did the rear d rear d duties and then the company got back you know. They basically went on leave. I was just waiting around. And then when they got back from leave, we went on our, you know, on our train up and yearly cycle. And then my company, we deployed to Iraq every year. Really? Like sometimes the, twice. Was all the
3: training you had done up to that point, was it effective over there? I mean, did you, were the notes you studied for the test, the right notes?
1: Ted, the test being, you know, comments. Uh, somewhat, you know, somewhat. Yes. A lot of the, my first deployment, I was doing, uh, I worked with host nation forces, like, uh, we were with the ICTF in Iraq and, uh, that was, you know, that was doing SF guy stuff, you know, working with Indige and going to combat with Indige and it was perfect and, uh, exactly what we'd been doing, you know, so, or we had been trained to do, um, a little bit, you know, war changes things. You know, you learn things during conflict that you change immediately and it does, it takes, it takes some time to filter back to the schoolhouse. And what's going on, you know? Like uh, you know, it took Sephardic a long time to catch up to, you know, what was the current CQB model that we were experiencing in Iraq, you know? And some of the old hats didn't wanna like they didn't want to let go of points of domination CQB and shit like that, you know, and you had to like, hey man, we don't want to do this anymore because, you know, dude you're getting shot doing that. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> was
3: it was it everything you thought it was gonna be, like when you got there and you got in to do the
1: job that you signed up for? Like was it sometimes. It was sometimes, you know, it's uh, everybody makes a joke. You know, you want to make a cool war movie, make it like nine hours long, and then there's like four seconds of combat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's and, uh, there is pretty realistic, you know.
0: There's something about it. we kind of skipped over it, and it's something I've never really talked to you about, and I'm interested in. Is there was that piece of the GWAT that was the Philippines, that was Asia, and yeah. you did deploy to Operation Enduring Freedom, yeah, in the first group,
1: yeah, to the that Philippines. Was, the very first Operation Enduring Freedom Philippines that we did, like we deployed from Okinawa and uh, went into uh, Mindanao and uh, it was awesome. Like that was textbook Green Beret shit, man. We built a firebase like I no kidding. I was an engineer, so I had the freaking manual out that Sergeant Major Jones had written, you know, the Special Forces A-Camp manual. And you're like, uh <laughs> <laughs> like i gotta review this shit i ain't done in a minute you know yeah. and uh like yeah we built a firebase on the jungle dude like it was it was bitching
3: was that is, was there danger involved in in those types of deployments like i mean as a non-military guy when i think of deployments i think of afghanistan iraq and anything else it's like well were those dangerous
1: well it's funny that like i mean we look back on everything you know with hindsight is 2020 so you look back on it and you're like oh you're going to the philippines like whatever but the very first trip you know we we were on a Chinook flying into Mindanao landing on an LZ and we were under the impression that it was no shit. Like, yeah, we're infilling into, you know, bad guy territory. And, uh, it was funny. Like me and my buddy, Joe, we're he's 18 Bravo on my team. Like we landed, got off the bird, like set up a perimeter, everything, just textbook, you know, kind of the next day, like as the sun's it was right, as the sun was coming up, it was like, like you're looking around like, what the fuck man? Like, we're on like a Filipino Marine Corps firebase. Like it was just an LZ, like on a Marine Corps base. And we're like, how did we not get the memo, dude? Like, <laughs> how did we not get this memo? Like nobody. Yeah. And I think looking back on it is like everybody wanted it to be so badly, you know, wanted it to be like, yeah, we're going to fucking war. And it just wasn't. Yeah. We kind of like, oh, yeah, we just ignore that part. Like, yeah, we're going to fucking get down, you know? And, uh, but once we realized, you know, where we were and what we were doing and, uh, the rules of engagement were, Basically accepted, you know, it was like we were there to help the Filipinos deal with their their insurgent problem in uh, the southern Philippines. And, uh, you know, we did that. Um, My fire base, we, you know, we built a school outside the fire base perimeter and uh, we had guys on our team out there teaching local kids. We kind of they started up a little village outside of our perimeter, basically because there were Filipino Marines and the SFA team there now. So the security posture was much better so a lot of civilians started moving closer to the base there was a little market like springing up and it was rad dude you know that's pretty cool it was cool it wasn't what you would expect a war to be but it was pretty cool and there was on different islands there was you know a heightened threat level you know depending if you were on holo back then it was it was pretty nasty there was gunfights and shit and uh just depending where you were we were on uh, Meluso, so it wasn't quite as bad, but there were still shitheads around there. Around really? out there, you know. I think they just
2: avoided us. Yeah. Did you run into Evan at all? Because yeah. it sounds like you guys went know, to the when... Q course around the same time, like ninety six, ninety seven. I graduated
1: Evan? in ninety six, mm. and I got to group like January of ninety seven. Like, what
3: year did we invade all right Was that two thousand
1: three? Oh three. Yeah, Evan was. A, I think Evan was a Green Beret. Then I think Evan went to
3: the Q course in two thousand two. No, it was before 02. that. What's that? It was before that. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. But you another another touch you have on the company is uh or friends of the company, you
1: were Mike Glover's phase yeah, two I was, instructor. I was Mike Glover's phase two. Oh well. really? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. Do you remember him?
1: Yeah. How yeah, did actually, you do you I do? I mean, he was young, but like when he went through there, he was he was young. Plus he was a tomb guard before. Yeah, which, which is was pretty rare. cool. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like you there's things like, you know, when guys wear their scary shirt, you notice what's on it, you know? And it you don't see many like tomb guards come yeah. through the Q course. It was like noted. He did a video a couple years ago uh, on Instagram of him going through the drill
3: with his rifle and mm-hmm. stuff. It's
1: unfreaking believable. Yeah. yeah. And then later I was his team Sergeant actually in, in B2-3 for, a, for a brief moment. Our team Sergeant at the time was killed in a motorcycle accident. And, uh, and uh, Mike and I were on the same team. And uh, then I fell into that position. I was team starting for a little bit. And then, uh, I can't remember where he, where he went. He, he PCS somewhere. I can't remember if it was, uh, over to CAG or if he went at that time, he went to 10th group, I think mm. maybe the 10th to, uh, they were starting at the time they were starting another SIF company. So they asked for dudes to go over there and help them out. Yeah. What, uh, so
0: something probably a lot of people are, I, I know it's like interesting to me, the whole like evolution of the SIF and then the CRIF and then like the, now it's gone, right? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. A hundred percent, you know, but like, uh, what's the SIF in the Criff? So like Travis will explain it better, but my understanding is within every SF group prior to the formation of the unit of mm-hmm. Delta, they SF, each SF group had basically a direct action arm, a direct action company guys who weren't there to exclusively do foreign internal defense. They were there okay. to do, you know, hostage what rescue this, and all this stuff. This.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, it was strictly, strictly a hostage rescue thing back then. Like in the late seventies, early eighties, it was called uh blue light project. It was uh, basically a detail that a special forces group, 10th group, obviously they operate in Europe, first group in Asia, seventh group in South America. There was a company out of the, out of that group that was detailed to be the hostage rescue element. Should a hostage, crisis occur. Right. And, uh, after doing that for several rotations, they, you know, they basically figured out that like, if you really want to be good at this, you have to like focus on it. It's not something that you can just do, you know, like it's, it's a pretty detailed, very rehearsed, like set of skills that you have to have to, uh, to be successful. So, um, kind of, I think at the same time they were developing the unit, like they stood up this, the SIF companies at the time were called the the commanders in extremist force. And it was basically, they were in theater SF companies that were task organized as assault troops, and they would respond to any hostage crisis that occurred in that theater. And, uh, you know, once a varsity team came, you might get relieved mm. in place and, uh, and they would carry out whatever needed to be done. And, uh, that lasted, until, I think right around 03, 04, and they were still SIF companies in in operation. And uh, if you remember that time in Iraq, like there were a lot of casualties occurring and a lot of, uh, you know, when they were doing that manhunting, tier one guys took a lot of, took a lot of casualties. And that's kind of when Ranger Battalion started to kind of morph into a different, different kind of entity than it had been in the past. You know, and they started to do more like human targeting and stuff. And uh, because the CIF companies were already trained in these CQB skills specifically, they were they were asked to kind of help out, you know, so CIF companies started deploying into Iraq, you know, and uh, that brought out a whole nother set of unforeseen circumstances. Because if you have a CIF company in Asia and then they deploy to Iraq, well, now who's who's covering down on the, the possibility of a hostage crisis in Asia. So they had to figure that all out and uh, same thing in 10th. And uh, you know, that went on. I mean, I was in a SIF still in 2011 in Iraq, you know, and then when we closed Iraq, we moved to another location and acted as the, you know, the crisis reaction element for Sencom, You know, and then I think Iraq started back up, but I had, I had retired by then. So not really sure what happened after.
3: What year did you retire?
1: 14. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I left B 23 in 2013, and then uh, I was only in Swick for like nine months. Just well, kind of went. What was your favorite job
3: in the, that you did in your time? Like, what did you
1: like? Looking Man, back now, like, memories. Me what's your favorite band? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, your song. What are my favorite, some of your favorite? Like, dude. I mean, for me personally, I really enjoyed being an instructor. Okay. You know, I that's cool. I like mentoring the next generation into you know being Green Berets. I mean, I still. I still have contact with a lot of guys that are our instructors and kind of like the guys who were my team guys, you know, they're now Sergeant majors or whatever. You know, I still have contact with them and I talk about things. My last, my last real job, I guess, was uh, I worked as a, as a training cell guy for uh, MARSOC down at Camp Lejeune. And, you know, I, I trained Marine Raiders, man. You know, that's kind of what we did. Go to the range, you know, go to the field, like talk about what I did, how it applies to what they're doing now and, uh, help them, you know, there's a, there's a lot of desire and there's a lot of need for real experience. You know, when I was young, the closest real conflict we had to look to was like Panama and like maybe Grenada. But even when I got to Ranger Battalion, there was like three dudes in the battalion that were like Grenada Raiders, you know, and we had, we had several Panama vets, but it's, After those conflicts, like the combat experience filters out. I mean, it's fast. You know, even if you go to Fort Bragg now, like, you know, during my glory days, you go to Fort Bragg, every, every dude on Bragg has got a CIB, like they've been in combat five times. Like, you know, now you go to Fort Bragg and it's not the same, dude. There's SF guys that have not deployed to combat. And so that experience filters out real quick. And, uh, team guys need that. Like soldiers need that. They need to know, no shit. What's what it's, what it's like on the ground. Yeah, I remember.
3: That's, that's not the answer I would expect. Like, which is it, but it's really cool to hear that because it's like, you know, as a civilian in society, you know, like our depiction of Green Berets and Rangers and Scout Snipers and all that stuff, like this, you don't, uh, the teaching component and the way you just explained it, that, that's really rad. Like, it shows yeah. that you truly cared. And like, that's that's awesome, man.
2: And so, <clears throat> Jericho, you, you joined right around the time you went to the Q course, then, yeah,
1: ish? Uh, uh, roughly. Uh, no, he was 97.
0: Yeah. I joined, he'd been in, you just got to first group at yeah, Fort Lewis. Right. I actually lived, my dad had retired out of Fort Lewis. Mm-hmm. So I lived there. And so he was in first group and it's kind of a funny thing. Like <laughs> when I, so I went off to, you know, go to rip, got assigned a second range battalion, came in, he was at first group. He's like an E6 at first group. And my platoon sergeant at the time had been, I think in your platoon or company, Jimmy Pippin. Pippin, yeah. So they knew each other. Mm-hmm. So like Pippin, like he was a stereotypical rancher. He fucking hated SF dudes and like, yeah. but he knew Travis, who's like the rangerist green beret on earth. <laughs> so he would always give me shit. He's like, your brother fucking talking, you ain't going to go on SF yet? You are just going to go to SF as soon as you get your tab and yeah. like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no. And, uh, but because they knew each other, like, Travis's ODA would always come and like do shit with my platoon because this was also like the Clinton years. Yeah. Right. So like funding was not great.
1: Yeah. Like, lots of, lots of road marching. Yeah. Lots of, road of marching, lots of alerts to a road march and uh, not a lot of shooting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but
0: Ranger regiment got better funding and support than yeah, at that time SF guys, than SF yeah. did. So we always were just like, we had great resources, like as far as ammo and training time and all that comparatively, right? It wasn't as good as it became. So Travis's ODA would always come and like come to our, like if we had a flat range, his team would come. And then like maybe, you know, in exchange or whatever, they would teach us foreign weapons class or Travis would teach demo class or fuck whatever. Because at that point we were still like the, the ranger regiment that just patrolled. We didn't get a lot of like super specialized yeah. shit. And uh, I remember one time my team leader was, he was a great team leader, but he was a motherfucker, right? And like Travis came out and he's my brother. I'm not going to be like stand up, pray at rest. So I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's like, my team leader's like, you better fucking call him sergeant. And he was like, kind of serious. <laughs> and he was like a corporal. And Travis was like, you don't to fucking do that. Shut the fuck up. And then that guy was like, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Did y'all ever cross
3: paths in your time? Besides from the story you just told?
1: Yeah. 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 And um, Baff was at 10. 2010?
0: Yeah, I was... At the time, I worked in the 75th regimental headquarters. I was just a staff dude. And I was there as the... Our task force's uh, ops sergeant major. I was an E-7 fucking ops sergeant major. That still irks me because I wasn't getting paid extra, you know? I was doing an E-9's job, mm-hmm. E-7's bullshit. But that's kind of a funny... Yeah, it's a funny story because... At the time, we both, you know, had army haircuts, fucking shaved faces. So we looked super fucking similar. And obviously, if you're listening to us talk, we talk very much similar. And uh,
1: we were both Mm V7s. And... I had had just pinned 8. I had just pinned 8. Okay. Maybe I was an E8? I think think so. I think so.
0: I pinned E8 on that trip. Yeah. So like somewhere in that time. But... uh. He was, you were the Siege of Sodef LNO to our task force. Right. So we were. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? So, that was a good uh,
1: mm-hmm. alphabet soup there, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, wow. I never heard one yeah. of those. Yeah. Siege Sodaf is basically the special forces, like super headquarters in theater. Like, okay. so in Afghanistan, there's a Siege Sodaf that's like in charge of all the teams. Okay. And then in Iraq, there's a Siege of Sodaf that's like in charge of all the teams. Okay. Right? <laughs> And that's the special forces side of the house, like, uh, I guess what you call the white side soft side. And then there's the task force side, which is like the not white side soft guys doing their stuff. And uh they drew from a SIF, one of the SIF companies, they'd pull a guy like, hey, you need to go and sit in this jock so that you can, like, liaise with this element because we don't really know any of those dudes, so... Another funny story about that is like literally the third group day just had no idea who I was like the whole deployment, you know, Yeah. I lived on Vance on their base, like ate at their childhood, like all this stuff. And then literally I, I, we were going to the range or something. I went to the, the jocks arm major and was like, Hey man, can I get a truck to load up all this shit? Take the range. They're like, why don't you get one of your own trucks? And I'm like, uh, what do you mean? And he's like, I <laughs> yeah, get one of the fucking goddamn Ranger trucks or whatever. And I was like, bro, I'm in third group, man. And he's like, what? And I'm like. <laughs> dude, I'm on your fucking rolls, bro. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. I'm in your unit. And he's like, oh, <laughs> shit, yeah. here. And I got but, a truck, you know? Went to the range. Because we, SF had a range. They didn't have a range on back. You know? yeah. So, Cause like, we hey, I'll just take all these rangers to the fucking range and we'll shoot, you know? The only thing we had on
0: Bagram was our jock. We had no operational anything there. There were no shooters there. They were all at outstations and shit. But the thing that fucking I always think about on that trip is we looked the same and guys would come up to me like, you know, like staff officers would come up to me just in like a fever. like, eh. And they needed some kind of like CJ soda question answered, like what he did, because they thought I was him. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't correct him. <laughs> I wouldn't be like, oh, you're looking for my brother. Mm-hmm. I would just pretend I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about <laughs> for a long time, like longer <laughs> than it was funny. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and they just thought I was such a Like, oh, yeah. I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've never heard of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That was that was a fun time, and it made it actually made mom happy knowing we're in the same place. When we're overseas, which is yeah, kind of dumb because we were together. So if one of us got killed, we probably both got killed. But Likely. <laughs> yeah.
1: I was bummed that whole trip because that's my only Afghanistan rotation I ever did was a staff dude. Like I was in third group, but I was in Bravo Two Three, so we were always in Iraq. You know, I never got to go. To, that was my only trip to Afghanistan, and the whole time I was trying to get. Merit to let me go on a freaking... Go on an op with the Rangers, you know? And uh, he's like, okay, 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 okay. Hey, I'm leaving tomorrow. Oh, man. (laughs) shit. (laughs) You know, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Never got to get out the gate, you know?
0: Yeah. And Uh, I I was there... I wasn't there the whole... Like, I left early because they did some, like, reshuffling around of staffing and regiment. I had to leave early to go back to go to RASP or mm -hmm. some shit. I don't remember. But,
2: yeah. So... SF versus ranger responsibilities. What, what do you guys kind of, or, you know, what did you lean towards? Like kind of being more favorable experience or was there one?
1: No, they're just different, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just different. It's a different mission, different objective. Like it's just different shit.
2: Yeah. You know, it's just another skill set,
1: And, uh, you know, there are dudes that exist in both. I think there's dudes that are more suited to either. And, uh, some guys should probably stay where they're at.
2: Yeah, when but you when you say some are more suited towards the other, what are those like personality traits that you kind of yeah, saw just, evolve just, over time? Maybe it's just guys
1: like a certain a certain environment better than others. You know, there's guys that really like teach. I like teaching. You know, it's it uh, it's fulfilling. Yeah,
2: know? yeah. It's,
1: it makes me happy. I get warm and fuzzy when I see the light bulbs go off and some other yeah, like, sure. young guy, or whatever. He figures some shit out. You know, and uh, that's rewarding to me. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, I laughed when, when I found out that they had rangers doing attempted FID in, in, uh, Afghanistan, like, Hey, we're training up these Afghans. And like, that's, what's being said. But from my green beret eyes, I'm looking at a bunch of rangers like, Hey, sit the fuck down and don't talk to anybody. And I was like, okay. Like, (laughs) Hey man, you guys aren't really teaching them dudes a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, And that's, like I said, that's from my point of view, you know, as a, as an SF guy, but, uh, I don't think Rangers are the best suited FID force, you know, probably not. Yeah. If you want to do a raid, you probably should call them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But also,
3: do you think that Rangers, generally speaking, are much
1: younger than SF guys, right? Uh, At one time, that was true, and I don't think that's accurate anymore. Really? I think it's about the same now because it's balanced out. Somewhere around, I think, 2003, four, they started taking SF-18 X-rays. They started allowing... uh, guys coming off the street as an SF dude and uh, they go through the pipeline. When I went to SF, you had to be an NCO to apply. Right? So, like, the youngest... When I got to my team, I was 24, 25, something like that, and I was the youngest guy by a fucking long shot. Like, a long ways, you know? We had a Vietnam vet on my team. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow.
3: Oh, wow. Um Comparing the two, like, getting into a Ranger regiment, Ranger battalion, versus getting into an SF team, like, challenging
1: like was one harder than the other i don't think so i think they were about the same i mean it was physically shitty you know it sucked uh i think the ranger instructor when i went to rip you know in 1992 was a little bit maybe more abrasive than uh <laughs> than uh the q course but rip was also four weeks and yeah. the q course is six months you know so it's a different it's right. a different existence you know there's periods of the Q course that are very physically demanding. There's other times where you're going to class all day, every day. What was the hardest part of RIP for you?
3: In the moment, not looking back, but in the moment, what was the most challenging? Component uh, the of cold. Ever? The cold?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I went to RIP in like, uh, I think it was December, November, December. And uh, we were obviously at cold range the whole time. And it was fucking cold, man. Really? Like it just yeah. it hurt. What What was the hardest part of the Q course for you? Most challenging? <laughs> The only thing I was really no shit worried about, like, was language school, man. Like, really? Because at the time, they're like, hey, if you don't learn how to speak a language, you're fucked. And you're like, a Thai you're, guy, right? Huh? You're a Thai guy, right? I speak Thai, yeah. And uh, they're like, if you don't speak language, you're you're fucking out, you know? And I'm like, dude, that's, I mean, that's not a small thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, can't, like, get a retest or something, you know? Right. yeah. But I was really worried about it. I don't really remember being worried about any of the tactical shit or any of that, like, but, like, there's a lot of book there's a lot of book learning to do in the really? Q course, you know, in the engineer course. You know, we had demo, we had bridging, we had all these wacko fucking math formulas that we had to learn. You know, so the book stuff was more, I guess, scary to me than any of the physical shit. And like I said, I had been, you know, I was on Chaplin Kazi's wrestling team, so <laughs> yeah. the physical shit wasn't really a worry. It was yeah. more the mental aspect of it. Am I going to fail this test? You know, like fuck, man, what am I going to do now? Yeah, it's you know?
0: so the. That- for you two guys, like when we lived in Germany, our school was an American, it was an American high school, you know, in Germany. So that it went grades seven through 12. So I was in the seventh grade when Travis was a senior. Mm-hmm. So we got to be on the same wrestling team mm. like one year, which was really cool. But I, I think back to that now and I'm like, God, that guy was a psychopath. Like I remember, way. like all the way. I remember Travis, like we had this little wrestling room about the size of this room. He would turn the radio, those old school radiators. He would just turn them up full blast. We were required to wear like thermal underwear and a sweatsuit, put the hood on and tie it. And he would just smoke our bags for two hours. I remember in one practice, Travis passed out. Like (laughs) he was a fucking heat casualty, like no shit. Chaplain Kazi grabbed him by the ankle, dragged him out of the wrestling room, and just put him out like the wrestling or you'd leave it and you'd go out into like the big basketball court or the regular gym at the high school. Yeah. And he just dragged him out there, dropped his foot, and then came back in. <laughs> Didn't check on him. Wasn't like, oh, fuck, this could be bad. I should get some cold water on him. He just drug him out of
1: the room and then
0: came back in for practice.
1: <laughs> do you remember that, Travis? Uh, I remember passing out. I remember waking up on the basketball court, but I don't remember the passing. What did you do when you woke up? Did you go back to practice? I did eventually because <laughs> we had to weigh out. Like. Right. <laughs> So we had to weigh out of practice every day. And if you didn't lose five pounds in a practice, you went back in the wrestling room and ran. Jesus. Man. You know? Yeah. So, yeah.
3: That just, would not fly in America. Only yeah. in Germany. Could you pull some shit off? Well, like he's
1: an army chaplain also. Right. Like he was in, you know, second armor division as the chaplain or whatever on yeah. the base, you know? Yeah. And he used to bring, he also coached the, the base, you know, wrestling team back there before, before the war and all that shit, like. There was a lot of intramural sports on military bases and amongst units and stuff. And there's a base wrestling team and cap Chapmankozy coached that team. Also, I kind of skipped over this part. Uh Chapman Kazi was the American heavyweight Olympian in nineteen eighty. Okay. So he was shit. a no shit like Olympian wrestler. He he wrestled in badass. the goodwill games. He was a yeah. fucking and 80s like the guy. year,
3: I think we, that was when we, we boycotted, boycotted the Olympics, boycotted but Moscow, he also won yeah.
1: world championships in nineteen eighty one. So he likely would have, would have, and he beat the guy that won gold from my understanding. So wow. He probably would have beaten him. Yeah. Just, but uh,
3: Just drug him out in the hallway.
1: Yeah. But he also, he used to bring like soldiers from that team to help AI. Like they were assistant coaches, you know, uh, Mena. Yeah. George Mena. George Mena. Yeah. You know, he was one of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I wrestled my senior year, I wrestled 130 pounds and, you know, I'm a high school senior. I weigh 130 pounds and we're wrestling like you know, infantrymen from from base. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I wrestled 103, but I was also
0: a little fat kid. Uh-huh. So, like, if I had wrestled like at the weight I should have, I would probably wrestle at like 75 pounds. I was <laughs> yeah.
3: Did you have any instances in, uh, in wrestling practice like your brother?
0: No, I crushed
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, of course you did. Yeah. 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 Man, uh, boot camp just had to be a fucking breeze for you guys. It uh, seem easy. You know,
0: for, for me, like, boot camp, I was just homesick. That was it. Like, I loved doing all the shit. Like, yeah. I was like, we get to wake up and go do a road march. That's so cool. <laughs> but I was also like, I miss my mom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. It yeah. was, uh, yeah, just the, the break away from like home was uh, a shock. But yeah, the physical side of it was like, meh, whatever. Yeah. It- we were both army brats too. So, like, kind of had an inkling of what's up. You know, like, my dad was in Ranger Battalion. I hung out in the, my dad was a medic. So, Like back in the day, remember hanging out in the aid station, you know, and, uh, and, you know, just being around soldiers all the time. So it wasn't really that much of a shocker to, to go from civilian life to military life. We were like, yeah, I'm kind of sort of in military life. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. We had like a super
0: advantage in just bandwidth, you know, eating of the bandwidth. Like I knew how to wear a uniform. Like no one had to tell me that. Like I knew what to fucking do, like exactly how to wear it. Yeah. Whereas other guys were like, fuck, do I have to tuck? What am I doing here? Is this go here? Where? Like, so I, I think mentally and like bandwidth wise, we got to relax a little bit. Yeah. You know, which is, which is nice.
2: Logan, did you have any like exposure to Mill guys, any to veterans growing up? No, not really. Uh, There there was a little bit. Like I remember talking to a couple guys who were in around Vietnam and just afterward and, you know, kind of gave some words of wisdom, but it wasn't like a big part of my culture growing up. Yeah.
0: I know what I wanted to ask you two guys. Watch here we go. So Travis Soda Constructor, like SF or Soda Grad, Soda Constructor later too, right?
1: No, I like, was never. I never instructed. I taught at Sephardic. I was actually not even an instructor. I was the NCYC there. Yeah, but uh, my last job in Marsoc, I was the, I guess the long range fucking SME in our so, tra- in our
0: training cell. I mean, not to mudsuck here, Logan, on the Marines, but. Pretty much every marine competition or sniper competition, I should say, is won by army snipers. So why do you guys think that is?
2: I think it's because there's a full-time shooting team for an army, but that's <laughs> just me. I don't know about the international the
1: the international comp, but I know that like the USASOC sniper competition. Marshock actually plays top ten, I think, this year. They had a team from uh They're being too nice Battalion. to each other. But uh, <laughs> you know, there's there are organizations that take those things seriously. And they dedicate time and resources to training, right? Is
0: it kind of like best ranger where like yeah. for years and years, like yeah. RTB ranger training brigade would win best ranger, but yeah. that's because they made it those guys job
1: to yeah. train they're for like that SD doing it. Yeah, you know what I mean? A lot of times at the comp, like the guys from the schoolhouse will do super good because they're instructors, right? Yeah. So they're literally teaching the skills that are required to do well in this course. And like, I was on a sniper team in, in SF and like the amount of things that you have to know to be on that team are like shooting is like, like that's cake, bro. We'll, we'll figure it out. Like, how do you program that radio? Like, yeah. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you, how do you network all these radios together in this th- environment? Like, I think you know, for there's all different
0: those things, I think for all those competitions, like use a sock best sniper, scout sniper competition, best ranger, it should just be random. They should go, they should have a pool, uh, like they should go into the, like the personnel database and be like, all right, we're going to pick every third guy whose name starts with a P and then just go down the line. And those guys from each unit are the ones who go there and compete for that unit's pride, right? Right. Guys who are actually doing the job at the time, rather than guys who are like, yeah, I'm in the military to compete in a,
2: in a little bit. Right, game. like from my perspective, and, you know, I'm not a subject matter expert in this, but it's kind of like you see the best ranger competitions, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times or, you know, often it's won by like dudes who aren't in ranger battalion, right? So like it's dudes who get to dedicate their whole entire existence right. towards this specific competition. I think skill set. Regiments won
0: it like the last four or five times, though. Yeah, they, they changed they
2: were... their whole approach, though. Yeah. They have dudes like they
1: they... I think they have a regimental pool of dudes that are training. And then the like whoever their coaches and stuff are, they, they make teams. Well, they'll do. Okay. You and you look good together. You're going together. Like, Oh, I don't want to go. I want to go with my buddy. Like, nope. Yeah. When we started to
0: win it, I worked at, uh, I worked at rip. So I like helped support the team, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there were tryouts at each battalion. And then those guys got special duty SD for like three months. Yeah. And they came down and they trained together. They did all the events. Like that was their job for three fucking months. But also, like you said, they would take, they wouldn't be like, if me and Logan were like, let's do Best Ranger, we couldn't be partners. We would go there and then like the coach of the team would be like, no, you're better at this area and you're sucking this area. And they make these like perfect combos. Yeah. So, yeah, we've, when I say we, like I'm not there anymore, but regiment has dominated Best Ranger for like the last. To
1: contrast that with in 94, I trained for Best Ranger, intended to go do the competition. Uh, first Sergeant Lane came out of the company, came out of, you know, for formation was like, hey, Best Ranger's in fucking two months or whatever. If anybody wants to be in Best Ranger, fucking let me know. And you guys can do PT on your own. Yeah. That was it. Yep, it was like, hey, if you wanted to be, yeah, you can do PT on your own. Like, you didn't have to do fucking squad PT with your squad, you know, and that's it. And then my partner got a DUI, so I didn't do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How big a deal is Best Ranger? In in the Ranger Regiment, it's a blip. Like, yeah, no one cares. So. Yeah,
1: really. Yeah, yeah. To guys on the line, they don't. I mean, it's like, oh, cool, man. But like in
0: big army and stuff, is it like a pretty
1: prestigious thing?
0: I think yeah. If you're if you're in like the 82nd or you know RTB or the 101st, like that's just that's a pretty prestigious thing. Yeah. Uh, but we we made fun of the guys who did it. Yeah, very yeah. often. Yeah, we well, made fun of everybody. Yeah, but your you fans. know, you're like <laughs> that's cool. You're off. You know. I mean. Playing sports most, while I learn how most to do my job.
1: Line units, I think, will make fun of like best ranger, make fun of them. You know, they also have like the golden knights and the black daggers and all those skydiving teams. You're like any halo team going to make fun of those dudes. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, you go skydiving. Right. Whatever, you know, like, so that existence, understand that it needs to be like for recruiting or whatever, however they fit into the, into the matrix. I don't, you know, I don't know, but line guys. Generally, frown on those dudes in just like a, in like balls. a like a negative
3: way, or just kind of like a joking, uh, ball busting way, in, in
1: a ribbing, okay, jestful way. You know, yeah, because there was maybe a little bit of like sincerity to it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it was like kind of across the board. It was like you know, for the last twenty years we've been at war, so it's like the best guys were kind of doing that job. That right, it was you know, exactly. kind of the the top priority. Do SEALs
3: ever game. enter Best Ranger?
2: No. How Not would they idea.
3: do? No. So
0: the the only the only people you can enter Best Ranger if you're Ranger qualified. Yeah. that you have
2: to be yeah. ranger quality. Okay. You have to have completed ranger school to enter it. Whereas like the international sniper competition, is like okay. every swing and dick yeah. can go to that. Cause
3: there was some guys from like 10th uh, mountain, I think this year that were like top 10. There's like one team. So you have to have a ranger tab. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: But I'll tell you what, I mean, as much, as much as I like to poke fun at our swim buddies, like they are physically
2: gifted dudes. Really?
0: I think they could probably win if they did it.
2: Probably. Yeah. You know, well it's interesting because Jericho and I just finished up that that recon sniper boogie um yeah, uh, out job. in Arizona and so we we're catching up with a bunch of recon dudes and the the army is really good at like career progression and allowing you like if you're in the special operations community to like grow and progress and like have a really good career and it's kind of a joke now because um the certain Recon battalions are kind of just uh, a Q-Course pipeline, they're calling it, because yeah. a lot, the Marine Corps is having a hard time retaining some of yeah. their their top tier operators because they don't have that, like, same type of career progression over time. So, like, for example, like a couple of guys in my platoon, like, one went on to the Army Marksmanship Unit, and then one, another one went to go to the Q-Course. So, like, like, not a lot of dudes stick around in the Marine Corps because they jump ship, go over to Army. Yeah,
3: my brother's, I think four of my brother's teammates yeah. did that. Yeah. Got out, went like Rep 62, Rep 63 mm-hmm. through the Guard into SF.
2: Yeah. And, and it's a little bit different now with Marsock yeah. coming on. Yeah. And stuff it like is, that, yeah. But, you know, obviously. I, I think a lot armies. of them guys are,
1: obviously, they try out for MARSOC and make it and stuff. They probably, prior to that, they would have been going to the key course. Yeah.
2: Know, yeah.
3: It, yep. So but is, is that a, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the Marine Corps, from what I've, Scott, About I've heard is like underfunded. Like, Make well, do with very
2: little. You know, uh, I'm sure Travis can kind of comment uh, the current status a little bit better than I can, but <clears throat> it's, it just wasn't, it's, it's new. It's like the baby program. Like it's just still in development as opposed to where some of these other programs have been around for decades longer. Okay. Yeah.
0: And kind of the Marines that I've worked with that were like recon guys, they have like, it's, it's all, it's the same mentality as like Rangers used to have And me and Travis's like first touches on it is like, I don't need that. Like you, you make do with what you have, you know what I mean? Like that's, there's no, there's no like asking for more, you know what I mean? It's like, Hey, you got to go do this mission. And like, here's what you get. You're like, okay, I'm going to make it work. You know, just doing more with less. And that mentality for me, it's the entirety of the Marine Corps, Mm -hmm. right? Like where with us, that's just like in the soft community, that's Ranger centric but you get to have yeah. these touches on other units. Like when we first started working with, you know, other tier units and they're like, they are like, whoa, what is that you're using? Them. They're like, oh, it's this. And like, how'd you get that? And like, <laughs> I fucking asked for it. And you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, whereas in, in the Marines, like in recon. And I think even in the inception or the early days of Marsoc, they still all had that Marine mentality of like, no, I can fight at night with iron sights. It's fine. Yeah. Like I'm a fucking Marine. I can make, get it done. And there's things like, yeah, you don't need it,
1: but it makes life better. Yeah. And that, I see that, you know, from the Marine Corps side, like those guys still exist at higher levels. So when somebody presents them with like, Hey, here's X amount of money, they're like, we don't need that much. Yeah. Right. And you're Like, whoa, whoa, if you're a line dog, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need that much. And they're like, no, you don't bro. Move to the side. We can do it with less. Right. You know? And it's like, uh, especially in all of soft. Everybody's jockeying for position, you know, and if 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 you can do it for a little less than the SEAL teams, then maybe we'll pick you. And if you can do it for less than Rangers, maybe we'll pick you. And it just goes around, you know, and all of those high echelon commands are like, you know, we're better for less.
3: Was was there ever a time in the GWAT when there was something for everyone to do, like all the soft units and the different branches and stuff like or was it just a constant scrape? to get in the fight. I mean, that
1: depends what you, what you mean, you know, uh,
0: getting over there and doing work. I mean, there were the bulk. well, the, the, the middle or bulk of my ranger career, there was too fucking much. And it, it, it it ate our fucking lunch. So as far as the unit I was in, I mean, we were like the surge years, you know, the the winter strikes and, uh, um, team Merrill, team Darby were like, your dwell time was zero. Like you had, what does that mean? Dwell time. Dwell time is the time you come home. Yeah. Time between appointments. It, it, and it, that's when you started to see a lot of discipline issues, a lot of turnover. Um, that we had to kind of lower the standards a little bit and rip and rasp because of, you know, dudes were just burnt the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time, you know, like we had, you know, a DUI in Ranger Battalion that's cut and dry. You're out, you're done. Mm-hmm. And we were getting DUIs and be like, why are guys drinking? I'm like, Cause they don't fucking care. They're like, they don't want to quit, but they also don't care if they get kicked out. Yeah. Um, so you saw that going on. So for my seat, yeah, plenty of work, like too much work. Um, but I know in SF, there were like, just however you guys did your, uh, horse blanket or whatever you want to call it, like the deployment chart, like some guys or teams or groups would just get like, just due to the shuffle, like miss out.
1: Yeah. In SF, every every group is theater oriented, you know. So obviously, if the war's happening in the Middle East, you know, first group in Asia, you know, they're like not a lot to do. It's weird too, because like right just prior to, I think it was in two thousand, the AOs kind of got shuffled, you know, and uh, all the stands at one time were considered part of Asia in the soft world, and so like first group lost all those to the Middle East and literally like the next year is when nine 11 happened. I know a lot of first group, I was in first group at the time. A lot of first group dudes were like, what the fuck? Like we just deployed to Mongolia, like last year, like what, you know, what's going on. And, uh, you know, so that changed things. And, uh, you know, it's, if you're looking from a, you know, from a global standpoint, like, is there something to do for everyone? Of course, like it's cause I'm not thinking about Afghanistan or Iraq. Like there's, there's tons to do everywhere, all yeah, the time. North you know? Africa and stuff. I mean, like that. we're just finding out about you know, not just, but recently, you know, a lot of things that happened in South America around Iran Contra and Seventh Group. You know, working down there in the 80s, like that stuff comes out, you know. But yeah, that was, that was uh, way prior to like social media and stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know,
3: it's interesting just about the you internet distributing you information. You mentioned Iran Contra and Ali North, where they were running those those arms through Costa Rica into Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Ollie North trial was going on, there was a newscaster broadcast, and she's doing a broadcast from where they're smuggling in these weapons, these mm-hmm. arms. <clears throat> and there was this massive, massive cobblestone point break. Like one of the most dynamic waves in all of Central America. <laughs> and a couple surfers saw it, and it's now known as Ollie's Point. The only way you can get there is by boat. And it is nice. one of the gnarliest right It's so amazing, <laughs> but it's hilarious. It's like, so, you know, there's a positive yeah. that came out of that whole shit storm.
0: Yeah. It is funny when I, we think back, like, uh, when we lived here in San Antonio, our dad was a, an instructor at the SF medic course. After he left, he went to the SF medic course as a ranger medic. Didn't ever go to the Q course, but because he he was the honor grad of the course, yeah. they let him be an instructor. And also they thought it would be good to have a ranger there because rangers came through. Uh, but anyway, when he was working there, when we lived here, he would go down to Honduras and Nicaragua and yeah. all that shit all the time. For long, like months. Yeah. And he would... Say they were doing training shit, but like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck he was doing, yeah. you know, like probably some,
1: some support, med support, support level, whatever shit. the hell yeah. was
0: going on. But there was like, yeah, lots of cool stuff
1: when, when Ronnie Reagan was in charge, of yeah. getting after it all over. Indeed. I recently was crushed because, uh, at one, one of these deployments, he, he'd always bring you back something, you know, dad goes downrange, he brings back some gifts or whatever. One year he brought back these parakeets, these birds. Yeah. Supposedly they were from, you know, from South America somewhere. I only recently found out that they bought them at like fucking Pet Mart, like down the
2: road from the Are house. Are you
1: serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh That's man! I like, what? That. Are you serious? I had to say like
2: <laughs> traveling with birds. But yeah, yeah, I, I remember. Had yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I had questions. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. But I mean, I was like, you know, what, 11 years old or something like at the time. My bird's yeah. name was Panama Pete. Yeah. Because yeah. he said he got him in Panama. Yeah. That's bullshit. I yeah. Mean,
3: <laughs> trust, why would you, why trust would you, issues, why would right. you burn yeah. that, why would you burn that secret? Like that's, that's an awesome story. Because my dad, I was hurt by it. My, no, I'm talking about your dad. Like, yeah. it's like my, my, you know, my you know, secret ranger, mm-hmm. Central American daddy
2: smuggled parrots back to us. No, son, we got those at pet Well, sport. he probably did it back then. For, it was like a 20-year joke. He, yeah. he just wanted the job. Right? It's like, oh, this yeah. is going to be funny in 20 yeah, years. He's going to be like, damn
0: it, you found out. Yeah, yeah, Shit. I just, I'm just finding this out. Is it bothering yeah. you? A little. A little. Yeah, a, little yeah. a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. You little should. Bit. I thought I was, like, I really proud of him. I was like, yeah, I got this I bird. He's from Panama. He made a liar out of me to a lot of people, you know, in my, like, kindergarten class. You'll never ask, like, how he got him here? He, yeah. I no, I remember him yeah. saying he carried the. The yeah. the cage through the plane. Oh, and, like shit. had it on the plane. Come I was like, house. oh, wow. <laughs> <No more. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Panama Pete. I already came home from school one day and Panama Pete had uh, fallen off his little perch and broke his neck and died. It's the first yeah. thing I so, ever like, saw So, like, dumb
3: and dumb His yeah. head fell off.
2: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> all <honest>? right? This <laughs> is great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, allowing us a trip down memory lane. Yeah. Indeed. Good stuff. Ten Yeah. Thank you, um,
0: Travis. How can people find you uh, on the on the socials?
1: I'm Coach Whiskers on uh, on the socials. Coach underscore Whiskers right on, on Instagram. I just got a Twitter only because of the Elon stuff, and there I, you go. I, I don't really know how to work it, but uh, it's accessible. Cool. It I is accessible. Cool. Coach Whiskers on Twitter also, and uh, the Instagrams. Right on. Check them out and
0: doodles. Uh, Bye. That concludes today's training. Any questions?
3: Woo! Drum titties, boy!